When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 363 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. Welcome to part two of Breaking Bad Habits Week. On Tuesday, my guest and I, we discussed how to live on purpose. And on today's show, we're taking that conversation one step further by talking about exactly how to break a bad habit. We've all got them, right? If you're like me, you've probably got a bunch of bad habits. For me, it's eating junk food on the couch after my kids go to bed That's a big one. I've had some success with breaking it. Another one is drinking that extra glass of wine that I totally don't need and that totally is going to mess with my sleep. That's a big one. Another one is raising my voice when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Yes, I'm a yeller and no, I'm not happy about it. I could go on and on with my own bad habits. But what is a habit exactly? A habit is an action we perform repeatedly over time, and it's also an action we perform repeatedly that we don't even think about. Our habits are processed in different parts of our brains than conscious thought. Habits happen in that murky, dark area way in the recesses of your brain. They occur without you even consciously thinking about them occurring. And so then a bad habit is one that does not help build the cathedral that Tanya Dalton discussed on Tuesday's episode. It does not help us become, does not help us grow into the person that we're trying to become. A listener wrote to me, and they preferred to stay anonymous, which I am happy to oblige, and they said that they frequently find themselves buying more than they need and buying on impulse. What should they do? So today we're specifically talking about the bad habit of buying on impulse, of buying stuff we don't need. But please know that the suggestions that I offer you and me today with regard to breaking a bad habit are rooted in neuroscience and they can be applied to any and every bad habit you're trying to break. Because when we're seeking to live a life of intention, And we're all seeking to live a life of intention, right? Because if we weren't, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be listening to this specific podcast. But when we're seeking to live a life of intention, we're seeking at least in part to minimize our bad habits, our habits that are holding us back, our habits that are not helping us grow into the best version of ourselves. I have a two-part show for you today. 
In part one, I'm offering up four steps that, again, are rooted in neuroscience to help us break bad habits for good. And then in part two of today's show, we're making sure that the bad habit we're trying to break does not need professional support. So in part two, we are discussing compulsive shopping disorder, which affects anywhere between two and eight percent of the population and grossly affects females as opposed to males. So we're going to get there as well. Let's get right into part one, which is how on earth should we break a bad habit? Let's back up and let's just remind ourselves of what a habit is. So I already said it. I'm going to say it one more time so we're all on the same page. A habit is an action we perform repeatedly over time that we perform without ever consciously thinking about it. So step one, don't beat yourself up. When we talk about buying stuff we don't need, that has been culturally ingrained in you since the moment you were born. When you buy on impulse, you're essentially doing what you've been trained to do. And yes, I am using the word trained there on purpose. Marketing has trained us like we're animals. Marketing has trained us to buy more than we need. So the argument can be made, and I'm making it, that when you overbuy, you're doing exactly what you've been trained and rewarded to do. There's this fancy thing called the feedback loop, and it's probably not a surprise to anyone, but I'm going to refer to it later in the show. So let's just go through it really quick. The feedback loop is a loop. It's a circle with four parts. Part one is the cue. It's the trigger that starts the habit. Part two is the craving. So the cue creates the craving. The craving is the sense of anticipation you feel after you experience the cue. The response is your behavior. It's the action you take. And then finally, the reward. The reward is what determines whether the next time you experience the cue, you behave in the same way. So let's just put this to the example of overbuying really quick. So the cue, perhaps the cue is a targeted ad on social media. The craving is the feeling you get inside. Oh, I really like that new outfit. Oh, that would look so good on me. It would really accentuate my this. It would make me look good at that party that I have next week. The response is the behavior. Do you choose to keep scrolling or do you choose to purchase? And then the reward, maybe immediately it's a rush of dopamine. Or maybe later, once the outfit comes and you wear it to the get-together, you get lots of compliments. That could also be a reward. And then the cue starts again. Another targeted ad, perhaps, that starts the cycle, that starts the loop, I should say, over again. Now, instead of letting yourself go down the shame spiral in which you think you're a bad person, you think you're impulsive, you're pretty sure you're out of control, you're never going to change, just stay away from all of that thinking. Let's be real. The shame spiral never leads to the cultivation of good habits. The shame spiral never benefits us. So instead, approach the habit, whatever the habit is. If the habit for you is overbuying, the habit for you could be eating junk food on the couch. The habit could be not exercising, whatever the, your habit is. Approach the habit that you're trying to change from a place of curiosity. Pretend you're a child again. Pretend you're a child and you just observed something new. What would a child do? 
a child would explore. Maybe they'd crawl, they'd physically explore, right? Well, I want you to mentally explore. I want you to deliberately insert a pause in your day. So you've gone through the loop. You experienced a cue, you felt the craving, you acted in a certain way, and then you experienced a reward, okay? So you went through the feedback loop. I want you to, right now, after experiencing the reward and before coming into contact with another cue, I want you to deliberately insert a pause. I want you to get curious about the why behind your actions. If habits are indeed unconscious, as neuroscience says, the first step to breaking a bad habit is to bring the habit into conscious awareness. Don't let that habit continue in the dark, murky recesses of your brain where nobody's sure what's exactly going on there. Bring it out into conscious awareness. Bring it out into the light. Perhaps bring it into that prefrontal cortex and then examine it with an air of curiosity. Dissect it, if you will. This is step one. And it is the most important step in breaking a bad habit because it is the first step in taking back your power. If you listen to Tuesday's episode, and by the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go back and listen to it. It was probably one of the most content-rich episodes I've released in a while. So much goodness there. So in episode 361, which came out just two days ago on Tuesday, She spoke about the five whys exercise. It's when you ask yourself why five times. You drill down on the real why behind your response, behind your action. What was the cue that led you to impulse buy? Was it scrolling on social media? Was it strolling around a store? Was it seeing your friend in a cute new trendy outfit and you found yourself feeling less than? What was the cue? Ask yourself, what exactly did the craving feel like? Describe exactly with words what happened inside your body when you felt the desire to buy on impulse or drink that extra glass of wine or yell at your partner or whatever the habit is we're trying to break. Describe the craving with adjectives because when we put words to the craving, we take away the craving's hold on us, at least a little bit of the craving. And finally, when we're doing the five whys exercise, this is the moneymaker right here. So listen up. Ask yourself, what feelings were associated with the craving? What fundamental need are you trying to meet when you perform the bad habit? If you can answer that question, you are heads and shoulders above everybody else with bad habits. If you can adequately name the feeling that's associated with the craving, that's the moneymaker right there. And the feeling that's associated with the craving, of course, is different for all of us. And it's different depending on what the bad habit is. But if we're talking about overbuying or buying on impulse, yes, the feeling is always different for each and every one of us. However, in my capacity as host of this podcast, (laughs) I've noticed that oftentimes the feeling associated with the craving of overbuying and buying on impulse, the feeling often has to do with inadequacy, of feeling less than, of feeling not as good as, 
of feeling not as pretty or not as trendy or not having enough or not having as much as everybody else. There's often feelings of inadequacy there. And so if that's coming up for you, don't shame yourself. Examine yourself. And yeah, it's not going to be pretty, right? (laughs) Examining yourself and feeling the negative feeling you're trying to escape when you overbuy, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to feel good. But we're not trying to feel good right now, are we? We're trying to bring out into the light the feelings and the actions that have been hidden in those dark recesses of our brain. That's what we're doing. And again, it's not pretty, but it's necessary. All right, so we're going to take our first of two ad breaks, and I'm very sorry we have two ad breaks today. However, this is a deeply content-centered episode, so I hope you'll stay with me. After the ad break, we're going to get into step two. I'll see you in a minute. And we're back, my friends. Before the break, we discussed step one of breaking a bad habit, which is, of course, to bring the bad habit from the unconscious part of our brain into the conscious part and then dissect it. Pick it apart with why questions. And now step two, I'm going to say right off the bat, it's easier said than done, I know. However, I'm going to help you. Step two is to replace the bad habit with a better one. And I know you're saying to yourself right now, you are, I know you are. You're saying, Stephanie, obviously, if it was just as easy as saying it, we'd all be doing it. I know. I gotcha. I gotcha. Stay with me. Breaking an unwanted habit does become easier when we replace it with a positive alternative. I have talked before on the show about my eating junk food on the couch after I put my kids to bed struggles. <laughs> the kids go to bed and I watch reality TV and I eat their junk food. <laughs> I used to. I have had some success with breaking this habit, I must say. Sometimes I still do it if I'm being completely honest. But breaking that nightly habit honestly, was as simple as just changing things up in my routine. Instead of sitting on the couch and watching Bravo, I instead watch Bravo in bed because I don't want crumbs in my bed, right? The Bravo, the reality TV is not the habit I'm trying to break. I love Bravo. I love Scandaval. I live for it. I will never break that habit. But the eating junk food is the bad habit I'm trying to break. So maybe I watch TV in bed, or maybe if it's a slow TV night, even better, I pick up my book and I read in bed. So I'm changing things up. Maybe I'm watching TV in bed, or maybe I'm replacing the bad habit of eating junk food on the couch with reading. James Clear is the author of the best-selling book, Atomic Habits, which, by the way, came out in 2018. He explained that habits reinforce our identities. So if your bad habit is smoking, you could replace the smoking with jogging around the neighborhood or even walking around the neighborhood if you're not a runner, right? Walking around the neighborhood after dinner will send a new message to your brain that you're a healthy person and healthy people do not smoke. So if you want to identify as someone who's financially stable, but you're frequently spending X amount of dollars on junk at the store. There is a dissonance to be felt there, and that dissonance is uncomfortable. Or if you consider yourself an environmentalist or a minimalist, or even better, both, a sustainable minimalist, but you continue to bring stuff you don't need into your home, there again is a dissonance to be felt there. And that dissonance is probably quite uncomfortable, as dissonance always is. Because which is it? 
Are you a sustainable minimalist or are you an impulse shopper? You can very, very occasionally be both, but you can't be both all the time. You can't even be both most of the time. Now, of course, as I said, you likely need help replacing a bad habit with a better one. And so I've got you. Step three is to use or remove visual cues. We humans are visual beings, are we not? If we see cookies, we're going to want to eat the cookies. The trigger is the seeing of the cookie. Taking the cookies off the counter, or even better, keeping them out of your home, is a very practical and surefire way to get you to eat fewer cookies. Now let's take the cookies example one step further. Cookies do not have brains. Cookies are not playing on your deep-seated insecurities to get you to eat them. Cookies are not persuading you to do anything. The persuasion, if you will, the trigger, is happening neurologically within your own brain. You could even maybe say that you are triggering yourself. Your brain is triggering your behavior. But advertisements are different than cookies. I like to think about Pinky and the brain when I describe the power of an advertisement. If an advertisement is Pinky, there is a brain behind Pinky. There's a brain behind the ad, lots of times many brains, many marketing executives. And those marketing executives know how to play on your deepest insecurities. They know how to highlight your greatest desires. The brains, aka the marketing professionals, know how to manipulate your behavior by creating an advertisement that has been proven to convert, has been proven to get people to buy. So if buying on impulse is your bad habit, eliminating the visual cue that the advertisement provides is a really solid step to curbing your overbuying. If we go back to the feedback loop here, the cue in this case is the ad or the influencer with their sneaky ad, right? It's important to remember here that the cue an advertisement provides is so much stronger and is so much harder to ignore than the cookie. Because again, the advertisement has a brain behind it. The cookie is just a cookie. I hope I'm making myself clear there. So remove the visual cues that trigger you as much as possible. If you, in step one, when you're asking the five whys exercise, if in step one you learned about yourself that you usually buy stuff online when the house is quiet because you're bored, it sounds so simple, but use the internet less. Put your phone away. Look at it less. If you learned about yourself in step one that you buy items you don't need when you go into stores, go into stores less. Do curbside pickup for your needs. Don't walk around the mall for fun. Okay, so you've removed cues that trigger the bad habit. Next is to add in visual cues that remind you of the better habit you're trying to cultivate. If you overbuy on the internet, why not put a little sticky note on the corner of your screen that says, I don't need something new to make me happy or some other affirmation like that that speaks to you and your soul. 
If you overbuy in stores, go in with a list of what you need. Commit to buying what's only on the list, and that's likely going to be hard for you, right? So put a little note to yourself up at the top of the list. Maybe the note says something like, I'm on my way to becoming financially independent. Or maybe the note says, I'm doing my part to care for the planet. Or maybe it says, my favorite saying of all time, which is, today's it item is tomorrow's clutter. Maybe you respond less to affirmations and maybe you respond more to visuals. Maybe if fashion is your kryptonite, you print out a photo of the clothing mountain in Ghana that I talked about last Thursday on the show. Maybe you stick that photo in your wallet. By the way, I posted a photo of the clothing mountain on my Instagram last week, and wow, people were shocked. The response was gigantic because <laughs> it's a powerful visual. Tracy Dalton on Tuesday's episode, she cited research into the way our brains view our future selves. I really want and I hope to be an active, mobile, healthy grandma as I get older. My health is really important to me. I want to be on the floor with my grandkids. I want to be running, maybe not running, maybe jogging or at worst hobbling around the neighborhood into my 60s and into my 70s, best case scenario. And so Tracy suggested that I use one of those aging filters of my own face. So what my face may likely look like when I'm 60 or 70, right? And then I take my face and I superimpose it onto a fit and healthy looking grandma. Perhaps I do that and I put that photo next to my seat on the couch. And perhaps I look at that visual that I inserted with intention into my life to remind me of my long-term goals next time I sit on the couch and experience the trigger of wanting to go get my kids Easter candy and digest it. So subtract as many visual cues that impede your habit breaking while simultaneously inserting visual cues that remind you of the person you're trying to become. So that's step three. We're going to take our second and final ad break. And when we come back, we're going to move on to step four. I'll see you in a minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Just to recap steps one through three, step one is to not beat yourself up, but ask yourself why. Bring the unconscious into the light. Step two is to replace the bad habit with a better one. And step three, add and remove visual cues. Now we're on to step four, which is almost, if not more, important than step one. So step one, really darn important. Step two and three, really hard. And step four, also super important, which is to stay committed for the long haul. This, in my opinion, is where people thwart their own efforts. We tend to forget that changing a habit is really hard, primarily because it takes an awful lot of time to successfully rewire our brains. I've heard it said before, and maybe you have too, that it's really darn easy to adopt a bad habit, and it's really hard to break a bad habit. Truer words have never been spoken. Think about exercising. For those of you who now or in the past have wanted to exercise more or wanted to exercise at all, you were likely motivated for a blip in time, but then when you didn't see results quick enough, you quit. Or eating better, if that's a good habit you've been trying to cultivate. If you didn't lose weight fast enough, or if your clothes didn't fit better at the rate you expected, or if your skin didn't look better, or if you weren't sleeping better, or if whatever goodness that you were expecting to occur didn't happen fast enough, perhaps you went back to your old eating ways. When we seek to break a bad habit, we tend to glamorize what our lives will be like once the habit's broken. We want to believe that our life will drastically improve if we just get rid of this one bad habit. If I just rein in my impulse spending, I'll be financially independent with the snap of my fingers. I'll have a clutter-free house immediately. I'll feel better about myself overnight. And all of this is true, right? You will be on your way to becoming financially independent. You will be on your way to having that clutter-free house. You will feel better about yourself over time, but none of it is going to happen instantly. It's going to happen slowly and gradually. A better life is not going to burst through the door like the Kool-Aid man and say, woohoo, I'm here. That is not real life. We have been conditioned to glamorize and expect instant gratification, instant results. But let's all, right now, bring ourselves back down to earth and remember that in real life, 
We have to work long and hard for what we want. We have to work long and hard to rewire our brains. There is no magic pill. Overnight results rarely happen in the real world. Now, here's another thing that's not often said. The people you admire, the people you look up to, the people who have seemingly built the cathedral that you are struggling right now to build, those people, those idols, I'll guess I'll say for lack of a better word, but those idols have been working quietly behind the scenes for years, for decades even. They have struggled. They have fallen off the wagon. But the difference between the people you look up to and everybody else in your life is that the people you look up to have gotten back on their wagon and they have made the conscious decision to keep working toward their goals even though the results and the changes that they were hoping for were not manifesting themselves overnight. I'm like getting all fired up right now, but it's so true. The people you look up to are no smarter than you. They're not stronger than you. But you know what they do have? They have grit. They stick with their goals through the valleys so that they can later experience the joy of reaching a peak. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with regard to valleys and peaks, you got to go back and listen to Tanya's episode on Tuesday. Someone in my life a long time ago, Chris McKittrick, if by chance you're listening, I'm talking to you. Chris said something to me that stuck with me. He said he had an aha moment. He realized that the people he looked up to were not any smarter than him, were not any wilier than him, did not have any significant privilege that he also didn't have. And so he knew inside that if they could do it, whatever it was, whatever it was for him, if they could do it, he trusted himself enough to know that if they could do it, he could do it too. And so he thanked his idols silently for showing him that his dreams were indeed achievable. So step four, is to stay committed for the long haul. There will be peaks. There will be moments of gratification. But they will come after an awful lot of valleys. That's real life. That's real living. All right. So now we need to move on to part two of today's episode, which is not long. But I feel as though I would be remiss if for those of you who are listening, who are struggling with reining in your impulse shopping, I would be remiss if I did not mention the latest into what psychology says about compulsive shopping and compulsive shopping disorder. For some of us, anywhere between 2 and 8% of us listening right now, we may need some professional support on our journeys to cut back on impulse buying. And yes, I use the word support there on purpose because that's exactly what we need. We need somebody to give us support. We need somebody to hold our hand. I hate the term professional help. The word help implies to me at least that you're off the rails, right? You need help. No, you don't need help. You may just need some support. You may just need someone to hold your hand. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Compulsive shopping refers to a preoccupation with buying stuff and spending money. It is associated with financial difficulties, reduced quality of life, 
family problems, marital problems, inner distress. Now, compulsive shopping is not recognized as a distinct behavioral addiction in the DSM-5. The DSM-5 is the big psychology textbook, essentially. It stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's not in the latest edition. But just because it's not in there, that doesn't mean that you may not be struggling. And if you feel as though you share some of the characteristics of compulsive shopping disorder, you may benefit by getting that professional support. And by the way, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and group therapy are known to be really darn effective with regard to compulsive shopping. Compulsive shopping disorder, as opposed to just having a bad habit of buying what you don't need, it can be considered a behavioral addiction, kind of like gambling, right? And some of the symptoms of compulsive shopping disorder include a preoccupation with shopping. So there's like an irresistible urge to buy. There's reduced control over your buying behavior. So as much as you try to rein it in, you can't. Another symptom is using shopping to regulate your mood. So you're feeling some sort of way. You're feeling some sort of inner distress. Let's say you try to alleviate it by buying something or you're using buying to feel a high. And here's the real key here, in my opinion. You're experiencing significant negative consequences associated with your buying. Maybe the guilt you feel is crippling. Maybe the debt you're in is crippling. Maybe the relationship problems you're having with your partner, your kids, etc., is significant. And of course, too, perhaps you've tried to rein in your shopping and your spending in the past, but you can't do it alone. You've tried and failed. You've tried and failed. You've tried and failed. And the trying and failing leads to excess anxiety, excess agitation, excess anger, excess worry, right? So I mentioned that anywhere between 2 and 8% of the population suffer from compulsive shopping disorder, the overwhelming majority, anywhere between 80 and 94% of them, are female. The onset usually starts in late teens or early adulthood. It often corresponds with the establishment of credit, so you get your first credit card. And so again, if that sounds like you, no judgment. You just may need someone to hold your hand. My final word for you all today comes from, and I'm taking this, I'm taking it with credit from the Frugal Friends podcast. I had them on the show back last year. Something they said recently on their show, I feel is really applicable to today's show. And that is, what you are today and what you will become tomorrow is essentially a sum of all your habits. What you are today and what you will become tomorrow is essentially the sum of all your habits. If we are committed to living a life of intention and becoming the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be, it would behoove all of us to take a good, hard look at our bad habits and work to, you know, soften their edges so we can indeed grow into the best version of ourselves, so we can indeed build the cathedrals that Tanya Talton talked about on Tuesday's episode. Be patient with yourself as you seek to break bad habits. 
Research has shown that small actions over time can produce monumental results. The fact that you're even trying to break a bad habit, whether the habit is over shopping, whether the habit is overeating, whether the habit is not exercising, whether the habit is drinking too much wine, whatever the habit is, the fact that you're even trying to break a bad habit says so much about you and says so much about your character. Because the vast majority of people don't even try. They don't even try to become their best versions. People tend to not change, right? But you, you're someone who tries. So give yourself a pat on the back for that. I, when this comes out, I will be in Disneyland with my children. We're spending two days in Disneyland. We're spending two days in Joshua Tree. Pray for me, please. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's going to be a whirlwind. I'll post some pictures on Instagram if anybody cares. But I will not be here tomorrow. Tomorrow is Friday. Friday is headlines. I'm skipping headlines this week, and I'm sorry about it, but I need a day off to be with my family and to practice what I preach. But we will be back on Tuesday. If you need me, you can reach out on social media. You can shoot me an email. My email is always in the show notes. If you've emailed me and I haven't written you back yet, it's because I'm on vacation. I promise I will respond. So reach out, say hello. Have an amazing weekend. I'll see you on Tuesday. Take care.